talk a lot about video games on Beyond Risk and Back because it's a thing that a lot of parents are dealing with. And it's a thing that a lot of people struggle with, uh, boys and girls and even adults. Video games like cannabis are not what they used to be. I'm a product of the Atari Pong age and I fell out. I was just never that good at them. So, uh, but I do remember going to arcades and spending my allowance and having that time and fun with friends, watching people live and die by the flashing lights of the arcade. And what it's become is much different because I, as I was telling my guest, all of my private clients right now are, uh, boys who struggle with video games. And when I say struggle, I mean they haven't been to school in six months. When they're not allowed to play video games, they kick a hole in the wall. The screaming and crying and the threatening behavior towards the adults and stealing credit cards to, to buy booster packs so they can resell character and it's out of control. But my guest today I met over on Podmatch, which you've heard me talk a lot about. They're not a sponsor. I just love being over there. And he is, first and foremost, he's a dad. Jed Schaefer plays video games with his kids. He loves video games. We want to talk to, let's talk to someone who uses it as a strategy of connection in his own home and figure out what he knows about avoiding the struggles and confronting the struggles and finding balance with video games. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. My guest today is Jed Schaefer. Jed, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a delight to be here, even though it's a very serious topic. It's a very important topic. I think uh, that gamer parents and non-gamer parents alike kind of have a blind spot to. So I, I think it's really good to bring a light. Uh, I think this podcast serves a really good purpose, bringing a light to that. You have a podcast as well. Yes, I do. Um, it's called the Gamer Parent Strategy Guide. It, uh, I mean, it's its entire purpose is that it's discussing the intersection between gaming and parenting and how it's kind of an it's really an uncharted territory this you know the the late gen x early millennial generation is really the first generation of people that grew up with video games that started playing video games as a kid and have grown up through the evolution of the entertainment of that field of entertainment and now we're having, you know, we've already got kids or we're having kids uh, and our parents didn't know what to do. They didn't grow up with video games. So we're making up the rules as we go along. And Gamer Parent Strategy Guide is kind of my way of saying, I got kids. I'm a gamer. I've been a gamer for 40 years. Here's my experiences. Here's my thoughts. Hopefully it helps somebody. So let's talk about how it begun you know, who you are, how you got to where you are on your bio. You're very transparent about your struggles with mental health, uh, your children and, and some of the physical and mental uh, issues that you are dealing with as a parent. So let's set the stage for these parents on, on Jed Schaefer. Well, how did you end up where you are and who are you? Oh, well, I'm a father of three boys. Um, I'm uh, married 18 years together, 20, um, the three boys, uh, I have twin boy, uh, the older two are twins. They're 15 years old. The youngest is nine. Uh, they're all gamers. Uh, the oldest twin, he would want me to mention that he's older by seven minutes because it it drives his twin brother insane. So even though he's not listening at the moment, he'll, he'll love me saying that. He was born with a lot of special needs. He was born with a condition called Golden Heart Syndrome, which is a craniofacial uh, chromosomal issue, um, causes cleft lip and palate, causes some dental issues. Uh, there's a whole grab bag of symptoms that it can come with. Um, he is, I want to say, um, he's moderately profoundly deaf in both ears. Uh, in different ways. Uh, he's mostly blind in one eye, uh, but he has full faculties. He's full, um, you know, he goes to high school. He's a regular boy, uh, but he also has uh, ADHD. He has clinical depression. Um, and that clinical depression has really manifested itself, especially 
over the COVID lockdown that really, really asserted itself uh, in in bad ways. Um, he became very dependent on video games. He was hiding in them. He was spending eight, 10, 12 hours playing when, when school was out and, 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 uh, you know, there's, we couldn't go anywhere. couldn't do anything. Um, and then things took an even bigger leap forward into negative earlier this year, back in January. Uh, I had a nephew, uh, he was in his mid late twenties and he had struggled with mental health and he lost that struggle and took his own life. Uh, this was back January 20th, give or take. Um, and 20, you know, 27 and 15 aren't immediate neighbors as far as age and maturity, but it's close enough. You know, it's close enough that there's at 27, you're still young enough at heart. You're, and he was very young at heart. He was a gamer. He was a nerd. He was... I mean, he might as well have still been 17 for for all his pursuits and interests. So my boys really looked up to him like a big brother. And that loss really knocked the chalks right out of him. Uh, it's it's a black cloud that still kind of hangs over our family in different ways. Uh, suicide is, it, it's a hard thing to understand. It's, it, it, even if you know the cause, you never understand it. We don't know why he did it. He didn't wow. leave a note. He didn't leave anything behind. It was just, he was alive one day and dead the next. Wow. And um, the oldest boy, like I said, of mine, that really threw him for a loop because he, it, it, I don't know. I don't want to say it like confirmed the darkness, but it just, it showed him, I guess it really showed him the depths of, of depression and we talked after that a lot we found out that he had, he had been having suicidal thoughts um which really threw us for a loop and we have uh spent this year kind of fighting not i don't want to say fighting but struggling with him to get him into therapy to recognize that he has a problem uh he's just now started going to therapy in the past couple of weeks uh after connecting finally finding a therapist that he connected with um so hopefully that's leading to good things but uh yeah that's i mean that that's kind of who i am as a family man um uh as for gamer i've been a gamer for like i said 40 years i've First system was the Intellivision. That tells you how far back I go. Yeah, and I've been a gamer ever since. And uh, as I've gotten older, and podcasting has become big, and uh, I, I started to realize that being a gamer and being a parent is just, like I said before, is a kind of an awkward intersection. Having kids who are gamers is different. I, so that's where the idea for the podcast came to be. Of it's this intersection that is never that never gets talked about never gets talked about anywhere and if video games are brought up in the mainstream media nine times out of ten it's they're being blamed for something it's negative without a doubt and and i want to make sure that on this episode that that's not that's not our goal here we we've talked on my show enough about um this this dark side, the studies that the military has done with which parts of the brain are stimulated with real violence and video game violence and that research is out there. And there's the very real human experience as parents. I, I my son played video games, a lot of video games. He managed them very well. I work with and in the past 20 years, I've worked with thousands of kids who have played video games and managed them really well in the same way that I know people who smoke cannabis and manage life really well. What I know is that I can't, I can't smoke cannabis and manage life. I end up choosing cannabis instead of life. And that people do that with video games. People do that with shopping. People do that with porn. People do that with mayonnaise. I mean, people, people do that. And you're, you are standing at a crossroads where a lot of parents are going to come to you with questions like, and this is what I want to start with, with the fragility 
of the mental health and life issues that have affected your son. Um, are you worried that some of the exposure that these kids have that is very popular in the news about the negative connections that we make on video games being swatted, which you can talk about what that is so that parents who don't know what being swatted understands what it is, or just being bullied online or being called names in the middle of it or being said, you should just go kill yourself. You suck because you didn't get to someone in time to help them respawn or heal. Are you, are you worried, attentive, or hypervigilant around what could happen on a video game that, let's be clear, could happen at school? Absolutely. I'm very attentive to it, very aware of it. Um, and it is, it is a pro I mean, it is a massive problem. Like you, you mentioned swatting, for instance. Um, swatting is the technique where a gamer who is wants to harass someone who they don't like online, whether that person beat them or whatever the case may be, whatever the cause is, they will find out where that other player's home address is and call the cops on a fake charge and send the cops to their house saying, oh, they're, they, uh, they might be a terrorist, they might be raping someone, whatever it may be. And they get the cops to go in their guns blazing SWAT teams, full camo and and in military weapons, and it all turns out to be for not, but it scares the living crap out of the person right, who just right. got it. Um, and that's just one way that, that gamers terrorize each other. There's uh, there's homophobia, there's uh, misogyny, huge misogyny problem. I mean, girls might as well be even though the the gaming market for the sexes has leveled out a lot over yeah. the past few decades, girls might as well still be uh, blacklisted because either your either girls are faking it and, and only there to harass guys, you know, like like what are they called, honeypots, I believe, right, right, or or uh, or they're lesbians because they don't want uh, to return sexual advances. The bullying, the, the cyberbullying, the hostility is definitely real. I've experienced it. Uh, I My podcast has a column as well, like a, a sister media project, so to speak. And every now and then I will play games the kids are really interested in to see what the allure is and see what my experience is. And I, I played Fortnite for about a week. I'd never played it before. My kids loved it. I wanted to see what it was. I was in a public room and there were 10 year olds in there. There was a, I was the only person who had passed through puberty. I'm positive. And there were a couple of young boys who were speaking some other language. I want to say it was Spanish. And there were a couple of English speaking boys. And one of them started cursing and throwing racial epithets at the ones who weren't speaking English. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you an uh, are you an effing Mexican? Is that what you're effing speaking? Uh, 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 uh. He said he dropped the f bomb more times in a three minute span than Andrew Dice Clay would in a in a sixty minute routine. And just leveling racism at him just because it was speaking a different language. And the, like I said, the kid couldn't have been more than fourth grade tops. It's ugly. It's disgusting. It is. And it's sad. It's so sad to hear. And I know that my boys have experienced it because they've told me about things that people have said to them. And, and, uh, I'm not so worried a much for, um, I'm not so worried for them as much because they, they really do treat the games like games. They're just like, eh, blow it off. You know, eh, that person's a jackass. They don't care. You know, I'll, I'll beat them the next time I play. My nine-year-old, on the other hand, he's more emotionally sensitive. And he's nine. It's a lot easier to, to chink the armor of a nine-year-old than it is a 15-year-old. So I'm more, I'm more worried about him than I am about the teenagers. But that doesn't mean my teenagers are, are certainly not uh, representative of teenagers at large. Anybody can be affected by it. Anybody sure. can can hear someone calling them the worst possible name, but some homophobic name or some, or just cursing or, or whatever, and take it to heart and it bothers them. And that toxicity, it's not the game's fault. It's the person's fault. 
but the at the same time also the game companies don't do a whole lot to police it it's really up to the parents to to educate their kids and to say hey listen you might encounter this you might encounter the following and these are just random people who are being brave and saying stupid crap because they have the freedom of anonymity and a microphone is it real anonymity and uh, online? Because one of the and, and again, this is this is a topic that gets uh, uh, hashed and rehashed out on the news um, about how things last forever online and and because online in general, the internet in general is complete anarchy. And whether you're on Google or whether you're playing Rust. It's anarchy out there. And adults are, if, if you don't know it exists, it's because you haven't looked. It's there. The, the, the sum total of all human knowledge equates anarchy. <laughs> and <laughs> so my, my question about this is, are, are your children truly anonymous out there? Do you feel secure that your children are safe and protected behind that screen with a, with a headset? I can't say that I, I trust that they are completely anonymous. Uh, I think it would be naive to say that they are completely um, because like you said, the internet on the internet, everything, everything. lives forever. If there, even if you manage to delete everything off of your Twitter page, the internet archive exists yeah. and everything's been archived there. So yeah, someone could be recording what you say and then upload it to YouTube and it's going to live there in perpetuity. So, or, or there's the dark web, which, you know, is impossible to monitor and there's like anarchy from hell. So to an extent, yes, I am worried about it. Um, again, that goes back to parental control and how much you limit your your kids on what they do. Uh, for instance, both my boys have wanted to become YouTube and Twitch streamers. Yeah, because they think that it's the gateway to the kind of millions that and ninja financial does. freedom. Just start, yeah. just start twitching. You know, right? <laughs> and, and and all I want to say to them is, look, I have a podcast. Have you noticed that I that we're <laughs> that I don't drive a Rolls Royce? Still yet? drive a uh, CRX over there, or a CRV over there. It's a, it ain't a Rolls Royce, and I've been yeah. podcasting for a couple of years now, buddy. But okay, you'll make millions. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> well, 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 all us podcasters are Joe Rogan. Meanwhile, we're still clipping coupons. <laughs> Um, but your but your your Twitch stream is going to be the one that just goes boom. My son had to learn that one the hard way. Like he invested in the green screen and the sound and the camera and everything like that, and it would. But you know, but but there was a level of letting him have that experience. So he was like, oh no, wait, that's work too. Like like there yeah. is no easy route down the rabbit hole of financial freedom. It's work and twitching is no different and professional gaming is no different. Absolutely. Uh, and to that extent, you can limit what your child does. Like I said, they wanted to be, they want to get on Twitch. They want to get on, um, they want to be uh, streamer stars. And what I've told them is look, not until you're 18. Nice. I will not, I will not allow you to be on webcam. You could be on the you could be on a headset and talk to your friends through Fortnite or or Rust or Apex Legends or whatever game it may be. You right. can do that to your heart's content because you're not on screen and there's only so much that they're going to be able to do with your voice. I don't want them on screen until they're old enough to make that and legal to make that decision for themselves. After that, I've told them, have fun trying to do it. That is a nut that you will find very difficult to crack because you're getting in on a crowded market. But there, there's a, I want to shift gears with you here, uh, Jed, because there's a, you know, again, we could easily fulfill hours and hours of the, of the negativity around video games and the stuff. And I think the parents are listening to this show because they get the point on the negativity. And one of the things as a gamer parent, which you are a parent who games and you have gamer kids. Um, I want to hear about the other side because there are, it, it, one of the one of the best little anecdotes I heard about this was a guy walked in and and watched his uh, eight year old nephew watching some other kid play a video game and he and he said how can you sit there on YouTube watching other kids play video games and the eight year old looked at his uncle and said I don't know how can you sit there and watch other people play football 
And and the, <laughs> and the uncle's nice. like, oh, yeah, that that is the same thing. And I know parents are very willing to connect around something they love, like football, like cars, like, uh, you know, whatever, a TV series, whatever. You've connected with your kids through video games. Yeah, it's something that, um, like I said, I grew up with it. And it's something that we share. We don't share all of the games that we play. They're more online-centric. I am more of a single-player game type person. But there are games that we do play. We have a Wii down in the basement that we play. Rock Band, uh, Wii Sports, Mario Kart. Great games that you could just that you could gather around together and enjoy and not have to worry about anything. Um, there, uh, I'm a big fan of Diablo and one, my, one of the, one of the two twins recently was like, if I got Diablo, would you play online with me? I'm like, sure. Why not? Yeah, of course I will. You're asking me to play a game with you. And we have such different interests in gaming. The fact that you're looking at a game that I want, I like, and you want to experience it with me, of course I'm going to play the game with you. Gaming can really bring families together because it's a shared experience. You you don't have, I mean, yes, it can be competitive, but it could also be cooperative. Uh, it could just be fun because, okay, going to the movies is fun. We love going to the, you know, we love watching a movie. We've seen every, with the exception of Shang-Chi, uh, we've seen every MCU movie. We, we go to the movies and see every single one of them. But that's a passive thing. We had that we're all sitting in silence in the dark watching Black Widow blow up a Russian prison. Whereas playing rock band, I'm playing guitar, mom's singing, one kid's pl- one kid's playing bass, one kid's playing drums, rotate out the next song. All right, you want to play take the drums on Judas Priest? Come right ahead. You know, it's and you get to build those memories doing that. It's fun. That's that's the key. That's the best part of it is you get to build those memories. I created Brab app because I wanted parents to have access, every parent to have access to everything I've ever taught parents in the last 20 years. 20 years I've been a parent coach, a parent interventionist. When teens are struggling, it's one thing to intervene on the teens and try to get the teens to check their strategy, but teens aren't broken, systems are, and parents are responsible for the systems. I know that's hard to hear, parent, but if you can't hear it, most likely you're not listening to this show. If you are listening to Beyond Risk and Back, you know that there are things that you could do differently to change what's going on in your home. And that's why I created the application Beyond Risk and Back. It's not just a podcast now, it's an app of 56 classes, 56 parenting sessions, every technique, every tool, every trick. And most importantly, I've divided them into three different quadrants, the red, the yellow, the green. The red is for the beyond risk families, the families who are dealing with the really, really intense mental health dependency, suicidality. And then there's the yellow, the kids who are at risk. They're making risky decisions. We're not sure if it's going to go red or if it's all going to be okay. They're just trying out the edge. Or if it's green, the kid's doing well, but you look at this kid and you go, that kid could change the world. What can I do differently to help motivate and push them into that next space of great? That's why I created Brab App. Go to brabapp.com, take a short 10 question quiz and find out which course you should start with. Because here's the thing, for the unbelievably low price that I put this app at, because I want every parent to have it, but for that price, you get all three courses, the red, the yellow, and the green. So no matter where you start, if it gets worse, I got you. If it gets better, I got you. Go to brabapp.com, take the short 10 question quiz and download it onto your phone your laptop, or your pad. You can do it at your own speed. It is extremely high quality video. And again, it's everything I have ever taught a parent in 20 years of working with families at risk. Brabapp.com. Thanks so much. 
get back to our guest. You talked about the, the, the passive nature of going to watch a movie. And I a hundred percent agree. And I think this is one of the things that parents are wondering about is about the active nature, because even if you guys are sitting side by side with controllers in your hand, what I've noticed when I watch my clients play video games is that they can talk about anything. When when I was sitting with one of the kids who was online while he was playing and I was listening to some of the things he was talking about. And he was like, yeah, my parents bought me this stupid sweatshirt. And the other kid online on, on his headset was like, actually, it looks good. And she's like, really? I didn't think so, but I told him I'd wear it. Oh, cool. Thanks, man. And they're talking about a sweatshirt while they're racing around this maze, shooting at each other. And t- okay, good person around the left. Yeah, check it out. How's school going, man? Oh, I failed that test. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got to retake it on Thursday. Watch out on the left. Okay. I got it. Thanks. And they're just like, it was, they weren't disconnected and they weren't, yes, they were sitting there, but they were as Gen Xers, we had always liked to say it's this new thing, this social media, these video games. It's not real connection. It's not real connection. I disagree. It's absolutely real connection. It is absolutely positive. Human connection is just talking with someone and making and finding common ground and understanding one another. It doesn't have to be in real it doesn't have to be sitting on the same couch it doesn't have to be in the same country some of my best one of my best friends lives in england i live in detroit another close friend that i've i got i've had him almost 20 years now he lives down in australia never met him never shaked his hand never went out to dinner never had a beer together but we're good friends because we've made a connection video games can do that that's one of the positive things that video games now that that even when we were kids that couldn't be done is that the internet component of it, the online component for all the bad that it can bring, it can also bring a connectivity that you cannot find somewhere else. I know for a fact that last year video games kept my kids from going crazy because we couldn't leave the house. We couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't, my in-laws live, what, 15 minutes away. They're very active in my kids' lives. We see, they see Graham, they see Grandma and Grandpa probably at least once a week, which I know is atypical from a lot of families. Sure. But that's how we are. Having that cut off for, you know, the better part of a year, having, you know, birthday parties and they're across, you know, we're sitting on the front porch and they're sitting all the way across the front yard, you know, 15 feet away to get to, to keep safe. That took a toll on them. But I know that what kept them sane was being able to talk to their friends in Fortnite and apex legends and whatever, and rocket league and whatever game they were playing, being able to keep in touch with their school friends and make new friends helped keep them grounded and helped keep them sane, kept them connected to the real world and let them know that there's still people out there. That's a positive thing. I, I, I can't, I, I can't uh, as much, like I said, as much as, as the online world can bring negativity, that kind of connectivity can bring positive results. You just have to teach your kids to screen out the bad and not let it roll, not let it, not let it take them down. Let's let's talk about screening out the bad for a second. And, and I'm curious about your personal views on the rating system. Do you keep your kids to the age appropriate rating system? We were talking offline that one of your boys, I didn't know which one, likes GTA. And when I did like video games, because every now and then I'll jump back in. Uh, Castle Wolfenstein, I have played that thing beginning to end. I couldn't tell you how many times. I've played Max Payne beginning to end. I can't tell you how many times. And then I'll fall out. And then I'll find another game. And GTA was one of the games that I really liked. I loved the open map concept, but the modern GTAs, rather than saying, but I'll say, and the modern GTAs, those are pretty intense. I mean, there, there's, there's some adult thematic in there. What do you think of the rating rating system? Do you follow it? Do you suggest that parents follow it? 
Oh man, that's a loaded question. It sure is, and and I but but I wanna I want parents to hear from you because you know it's, this is not just about being this brain development research because those MCU movies, which you're talking to a D and D comic book geek across across Zoom right here. That that was my life. D and D Dungeons and Dragons saved my childhood. Comic books to this day, I still collect them in in digital format. There's not a comic movie that comes out that I don't see. Haven't haven't seen the newest one yet. The the the, the Shangli. I haven't not there yet. Not yet. But I will. Um, but those, these movies are not the comic books we had at kids. I don't remember Captain America shooting somebody uh, in the comics. It was always to knock the helmet off or to knock the legs out from underneath. It was never in the head. Things change. Yes. So let's talk about rating systems. All right. Um, I, I'm going to do my best to reply to this without sounding like a hypocrite because I'm probably going to give answers on both sides of here um do i recommend that parents follow the ratings board to an extent yes uh the ratings board can be a useful roadmap um if you dig deeper than the rating itself that is i think that is the the crux of the issue if you just flip over the back of the case and go huh dishonored is a teen rating Okay, that's perfectly fine. Eh, no, you need to read deeper. Perfect example of this. The Dark Souls games. There's three games in the Dark Souls series. Dark Souls is a game series. It's a medieval series. It's a very difficult game. It's built upon pattern recognition and strategy. It's very it's medieval, but it's a very... It's not bloody in the way the GTA is, where it's gratuitous. It's just bloody because beating something over the head with a cudgel results in a lot of blood right. <laughs> um the first dark souls game is rated m for mature and it had and it, if you look at the back of the box it lists reasons why uh, uh blood and gore thematic elements adult situations and a couple of other criteria i can't remember the second dark souls game just as hard just the same content as the previous one is only rated teen for less reasons too the third one is back to mature, same kind of game, rated mature for less reasons than the previous game. Huh. So it's like each one has less content according to the ESRB, but the rating keeps fluctuating. So if you look at the back of the box and you look at that letter, that letter does not tell the story. That letter is, is the most brief of summations. So in that regard, no, I think the ESRB on its face isn't very helpful. It's when you dig deeper and you look at the ratings and you, if you, like if you go to the ESRB website, you plug in any game, whether it's Dark Souls, whether it's Donkey Kong, it will list what the rating is, what the conditions it gives it. Does it have extraordinary violence, sexual content? Does, do they use tobacco? Do they drink alcohol? Is there swearing? Everything you could possibly think of. But then you go into even further details and it will list the incidents that trigger that. So Metal Gear Solid, Snake has a packet of cigarettes. He doesn't have to use them, they, but he can use them. So we'll say Metal Gear Solid, character has access to cigarettes so on and so forth character can take headshots da, 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 da. and it will explain whether it's a plot element or play element what the offending content may be that is how the esrb can be useful for parents it just takes a lot more steps and a lot more research than it does going into gamestop grabbing the game and flipping it over if you rely on that i don't think the esrb is useful because those letter grades are just, I mean, they're worse than the MPAA's grades, which are, you know, as nebulous as humanly possible. Like the King's Speech has an R rating for using the F word. So does Friday the 13th. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. So ESRB is the same thing. You got to take the rating with a grain of salt. Do your, do, do your due diligence. Now, as to your question, do I use the ESRB? Do I follow the ratings? I have set all three of my kids up with sub accounts 
So I have a master account on my on my PlayStation console, and I created a Nintendo uh, account, even though I don't have one. And I made them create accounts as sub accounts. So that gives me parental access to control what their content is. So on Sony's, it's actually I should backtrack on Xbox is the best one for it because Xboxes the ages match the ESRB one to one. Got it. It so E10, you have to be 10 to play E10 uh, to to play games that are rated E10. To play teen, you have to be 13. So they don't like, it, it doesn't let you unlock the game. Yeah. You wow. they are they are you put that game in and the console just stares back at you cross-eyed and goes, No, I can't do that. Sorry, man. <laughs> Sony's is a little bit more nebulous, unfortunately. Their age ratings, like I remember um, when they were about 10, one of my twins managed to play the Tomb Raider reboot on my PlayStation, and that's rated teen. It's bloody, it's violent. Um, suggestive. Yeah, it's suggestive. Not so much as the old ones, but Laura is in a skin tight white tank top. She always has been. Laura Croft, the character has always been that that scantily dressed comparatively to the other heroes. Apparently, she doesn't need armor when she gets shot, but the others do. But yeah, and um, excuse me, and uh, she's also put in some suggestive situations. Right. Um, there's some implication of possible sexual violence. It doesn't pan out, but he managed to play that because Sony's system is just a little bit more awkward. I can't quite explain how. I don't know where the numbers fall, but it still does block out games at a certain age. Okay. Nintendo's is, I believe, more along the lines of Microsoft. So it is more age to age. E10 equals must be 10. Teen must be a teen. So you can set that. You can make your kids have these accounts and that will help screen them out. And they, it drives my kids nuts. They're like, oh, I want to be able to play that. Sorry, you're not old enough. Right. It wasn't until they got old enough that and they graduated above that, you know, whatever that age special was that they could play GTA or Call of Duty. And yeah, at 15, I'm I'm I believe that they're mature enough to handle it. They're, you know, that. If they weren't mature enough, I would have stopped them. You know, and you you should be able to tell. That's that's another part of parenting. Is you should you got to know your kids. You got to be able to look at them and go, okay, can he tell the difference? Can he can he handle the idea of being a green beret and shooting down terrorists? Can he handle the idea of GTA and the anarchy that 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 game entails? Yeah, I have a something that's come up, especially while we were talking about the rating system where Dark Souls, you know, had three extremely similar games and three different ratings for the games as they came out. It kind of sparked something in me that I want us to discuss as we start to move around the end of the episode here, because a tactic like that, where it's you know, rated mature and then rated teen and then rated back to mature. That sounds like a pretty intelligent, devious uh, marketing tactic or business tactic to recruit more players and to then limit because the limiter is always more attractive. Oh, you know, yeah, we made it, uh, 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 you know, teen last year, but it's mature again. And all those teens are going to want to buy it. And it's adults who did that, not kids. It's adults who design these games and package these games and market these games and sell these games. And it's adult who buy these games for their children and then are angry that, that the children get addicted to it. I, I, I get the sense from you that your expectation that the adults are taking responsibility for these games um, and how you practice it at home is a little bit higher. So if you have a parent who has been letting the kid make the choices about what games and just buying games for a birthday, which I did, like my, I would go to my son. He would 15, 13, 16 years old. What game do you, he knew every birthday, every Christmas, I got him a new game. He got to pick the, the games. 
I didn't play him. I didn't check him. I would go sit next to him and watch him play at times. But like I said, he handled it well. Uh, the He loved the first-person shooters. How does a parent who has been letting the kid take point on what games they're playing reverse that, in your opinion? What can a parent do to find out about the game to have conversations about the game and possibly limit the use access to the game. If their kid has already had full control. I hate to say it research, lots of research um, and communication with the kid, find out, you know, find out what games they are playing that whether you're a gamer or a non-gamer parent, you got to know what your kids are playing because uh, for so many reasons, content is only one of them. Uh, but since we're talking about content, let's stick with that. You got to know what they're playing. So that way you have, I mean, that's a window into the, into their psyche, but it's also a window into what their tastes are going forward. So like you said, your son was big into first person shooters. So if he likes call of duty, he's probably going to like rust. He's probably going to like dishonored. He's probably going to like uh battlefield and so on and so forth. If he likes GTA, he's probably going to like Saints Row, and he's probably going to like uh, Infamous and so on and so forth. So find out what they like and then you know, find out what they're interested in. But then you have to do the research. You have to start. You have to go on Google and you have to type up, OK, what is Saints Row? And then you find out. Oh, Saints Row is what happens when Grand Theft Auto is designed by Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> I, I mean, I love Saints Row, but I, I I know that the fact that one of the wep- the melee weapons in there is a six-foot-long floppy purple dildo that you could beat people to death with, I know that that's childish and probably above the level of some some kids. You know, that's definitely got to be age-gated. What's amazing about that right there is that that, that proves my point is that... Uh, an adult designed that there were meetings about that mm-hmm. as a weapon. They sat in a boardroom and a bunch of adults said, how about we have a giant purple dildo as one of the weapons and, and the, the goofy nature at some point was set aside for profit. And that decision to have a giant dildo as a weapon is something that your kids have access to. So mm-hmm. yeah, to, to your point without the research, there's no control. Yeah, no. Uh, and it, it, like I said, it's really incumbent upon parents to do that research because if you go into GameStop or Best Buy or any wherever you get your games, if a parent just comes in and is like, is this appropriate for my kids? That game, well, that employee at GameStop, he could not care less well about your kids. He doesn't know your kids. He doesn't want to know your kids. And he, he's just looking to make that sale because that's his job. So you can't be asking the game store employees what the game content is. You can't listen to inflammatory groups. Uh, I don't want to name any of them and give them any publicity, but you don't want to listen to the, you know, the, the doomsayers who think that all video games are the source of the devil. You just got to go and look it up, find out what the games are that they're interested in go. Okay. Is this content something that I want my kids having access to? And, and to the rest of your question, how do you take the control back? Unfortunately, it's going to be ugly. If they've already have been taking point for a while and you want to take it back, you got a hard decision to make. And that is, do I wrench it out of their hands or not? Because once a toothpaste out of the tube, man, you, you don't get it back. You, you've, you've either got to rip it out of their hands or you just let them take the wheel. So if you're going to take it back, be prepared for a fight. They're not going to like it. But depending on the age of the kid, it may be necessary. You can't be having... You know, your 10-year-old go, oh, I want GTA. No, you shouldn't be having GTA. That, <laughs> that that game could get pretty damn sick. And no, you, you need to take control back and, like I said, do the research. Be of, You have to be vigilant about it. Not worried, but vigilant. Jed, one of my wife's favorite memories of our kids growing up is rock band and swapping instruments like you had talked about before. And you talked about Judas Priest, but it was, 
it was the tool song that, Ooh. yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the singer, the guitarists and the drummer all trying to keep up with that and how much we laughed and how much we dreaded having to do the song over and switch and, and how you, if we just stayed where we were, maybe we could have nailed it. But my wife loves the memory because of how much laughter the four of us were sharing during a video game. And without vilifying something that, quite frankly, looks like it's becoming an Olympic sport, a professional sport, a career, an industry, it, it ain't going away. <laughs> like, it's not. This is a done deal. Video games are not going to go away. And the most impactful experiences I have had with my clients who are dependent on video games, and it's become destructive in their life, has been to sit down next to them, watch how they play, and watch their strategy, and then realize that they have found a successful strategy to solve problems, to handle refocusing and reevaluating their own strategy by changing their strategy when their strategy is failing, which is what parents want. They want their kids to solve problems and check their strategies and be connected to other people in a team that's uh, solving problems. And Video games are practice. And I'm, I'm wondering what gifts, aside from this thing you share with your kids in the same way other parents would share sports numbers and other parents would share a love of cars or a love of music, what other ways have you seen your kids benefit from video games? Problem solving definitely is one of them. Um, they have... You know, like you said, they they apply strategies, strategies don't work. They go back to the drawing board, they try it again. They they uh you know they keep refining and they that's something that they can bring out in real life. Hey, do they go um, when when they're when they're stuck in a corner in some game, do they go online and watch how to get out of that corner? Yeah. Yeah, I believe oh, that's yeah. called research. Yep. I and you know what? I didn't even tell them that one. I, I never had to say, hey, you can go look on the internet. They just figured out, oh, hey, I can go to YouTube and get a walkthrough. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's how to beat the third dungeon. Okay. And they go. They figured that out. The nine-year-old's different. The nine-year-old is still a nine-year-old. But the fiends, <laughs> they, you know, they watch gameplay videos all day and they figure it out. And if they, you know, if they can't figure it out on their own, they figure it out with help. Um I think another positive thing that you can get from video games, uh, there's a lot of video games out, especially on the indie market. The indie market is great for unique experiences, and there's a lot of games out there that you can get that, um, whether it's reflecting uh, ser uh, serious issues of mental health um, or whether it's reflecting real-life morality issues, uh, there's a there's a great game that my uh, my boys haven't played but they have watched uh and when they watch me play they're very interested in it because it's very unique it's called this war of mine it's a game that it's very simple it's kind of a puzzle game it takes place on a on a side scrolling atmosphere um so it's 2d but the whole idea behind the game is that it takes place in some eastern european country during a civil war and the city's bombed out and you're not a soldier. You are a civilian. Your job in the game is don't die. You don't have weapons. You don't have food. You don't have supplies. You just have you and your two friends. And your whole goal is to find scraps and food and enough supplies to build up your house and not die amidst this war. And it presents real moral choices of, what happens if I go to this apartment complex that isn't fully abandoned? Do I have the right to steal from other people who are trying to survive? Wow. Do I have what happened? How do I handle the guilt if they attack me and I have to kill them? Can I live with the guilt of having to kill someone else just so that way I can live? Presenting interesting moral quandaries. They watch this and, you know, it's not their kind of game. But they still they still watch it and they absorb it and they can learn. Games can teach life lessons. Games can bring solace. I know that the games 
that they played in the wake of my nephew's suicide earlier this year, I know that that helped them get through that because it was a way to focus energy on something else. And, you know, their young brains aren't fully developed. They don't know how to process grief and grief itself is a complicated issue. Grief over suicide is like, it's so much weirder and so much more out there than normal grief because there's so many unanswered questions and their brains couldn't handle figuring it out. So playing games allowed them the ability to kind of mentally defragment and process it in their own slow, unique way without having to sit there and chew on it and let it eat away at them. Video games can do a lot of wondrous things for, you know, like I said earlier, it helped keep them sane uh, during during the epidemic. It's games can bring so much positivity. Uh, if you just if I don't want to say if you do, if you let them, but um, not everything about gaming is bad. Most of gaming isn't bad. Uh, the bad is completely outweighed by the good. It's always the, the bad is just noisier is the issue. How do parents find you? How do they find your podcast or anything else you've got for them? Uh, my podcast is available on all of the major platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, it's uh, just coming to uh, Amazon this week, uh, YouTube this week. It's making its debut uh, stitcher. It's making its debut this week. It's called the gamer parent strategy guide. Uh, I put out new episodes every week on Thursday. My Twitter is GPSG Podcast. Also got a Facebook page, Gamer Parent Strategy Guide. Uh, follow me, like me, subscribe me, give me a listen, send me feedback. I, I love I love to interact with the listeners. Uh, so yeah, I hope I hope it, people check it out. Jed, being part of the first generation of video games, I'm sure he'll remember the Oregon Trail. I, this this was such a popular game, and as and as parents now, you know those of us who were kids back in 1974 when it was released, it taught lessons, and there there were quote end quote real life consequences to the game. I wanted to do this episode with Jed Schaefer because my son played a lot of video games. And he has two degrees and is moving to Mexico to open a music school. It is an opportunity to solve problems, to look at strategies, to be connected. It is a place to escape the, the woes and the ills of something like a global pandemic or the, the suicide of an uncle. And like mayonnaise, like cannabis, like shopping on a on Amazon or Alibaba or whatever, it can be abused. But as parents, we cannot forget adults created this experience and we're angry at kids for how they're handling it. If we're going to change video games, it can't be by what we have our kids do or not do. It has to come from the adults. He's right. And he was right when he says, I know this answer sucks, but you have to do your research. So it will be the adult's job. To, to make sure the kid is being safe with the video game. I want to thank Deepin Productions for producing Beyond Risk and Back and Your Cause Consulting for making sure that it gets in front of all the right people, you, parents who are looking for support for your teens that are struggling. Go to brabapp.com and get more support there. You can always find me on Parenting Teens That Struggle on Facebook. It's a private group moderated by me. And please listen, like, subscribe, share, and review Beyond Risk and Back. It really helps us get in front of more parents who need help. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Beyond Risk and Back. My name's Aaron Huey, and my guest today was Jed Schaefer. I'll see you next week. <laughs>